Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of 1 Samuel. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I begin reading in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines. Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered, Arise and go to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David at Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told to Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hands, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to go to war, to go down to Keilah and to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hands? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hands of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about six hundred, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hands. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gebeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hill of Hekilah, which is south of Jessamon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hands. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is and who has seen him there, for it is told me that he is very cunning. 
See, therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you, and if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Ma'an, in the Arabah to the south of Jesalon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness at Ma'an. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David to the wilderness of Ma'an. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain, and David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, the place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of the Engedi. As this chapter opens, David is still hiding from Saul, and a group of people come to him and let him know that a nearby town is being overrun by the Philistines. David has compassion for them, but he's not sure what he should do. Saul's still chasing him. This could be a trick that Saul's using to lure him away. This could be a situation where he's trying to do the right thing, but Saul finds out about it and is able to catch up with him and kill him just because he's exposed himself. He has hundreds of people with him that are also afraid and have run away from Saul. So David's just not sure what he should do. So he goes and inquires of God. And God tells him, yes, you need to go save those people. So he goes and tells his men that they're about to leave and fight a battle. And they said, we're scared here in Judah, where it's relatively safe. If we go out there where the Philistines are, surely nothing but trouble can come to us. So David says, okay, hang on, let me go check with God again. And he inquires of God a second time, and God says, yes, go and deliver this city. I will deliver the Philistines into your hands. Now, David could have just said to himself and to his men, this is the king's problem. He should take care of it. It's not my job. But because God had told him he needed to go, he went and he did defeat the Philistines. But such a great victory couldn't go unnoticed. And Saul did hear about it and comes and pursues David. Jonathan finds him before Saul does and assures him that he's doing everything he can to protect him from Saul. But the Ziphites seem to think that they're in better shape if they're on the king's side than on David's. So they go and tell Saul where David is. So Saul goes to the place where he's told that David's hiding. And we're told that David and his men find themselves on the opposite side of the mountain where Saul and his men are. And Saul's men are quickly trying to pursue them. David's men are quickly trying to run around. You almost get a picture out of a Monty Python movie where they're chasing each other around in circles around this mountain. But as that's happening, a message comes to Saul that another city is being attacked by the Philistines. And so Saul goes to save that city. And for the time being, David is safe. Of all the interesting details in this chapter, the one that's most fascinating to me is that the two main characters, David and Saul, both are telling their armies that they're being led by God to do things. David has to convince his men that God wants them to go to another place and fight the Philistines. Saul is convincing the armies with him that God wants him to go and destroy David. We know the rest of the story. We know that David is reading the signs correctly, that he's following God's instruction. 
We know that Saul is chasing after what he wants, and when he thinks he's about to get it, he's saying that God has provided it for him. It's easy to look at this story and see that clearly, but I'm not sure we always see it so clearly in our own lives. Far too often, we find ourselves in the situation that Saul's in, where what we want is in our grasp, and we say, God is doing that. Because we want it so desperately, we can't imagine that it's a scheme of Satan to distract us from what God really wants. And so we pursue it, even if it leads to our own destruction. In the moment, it's hard for us to see that we may be guilty of that. But very often, when we can look back and be honest with ourselves, we can see that we were chasing after things we wanted, not the things that God called us to. But as we look at David here, I do think we've learned some things about how to follow God's leading. And one of the things we see in the story is that there are places that God will lead his people, and there are places that God's people often want to go, but it's not where he wants them to be. How do we decide if it's God's leading or our own selfish desire? Well, firstly, I think we should note that if we're following God's lead, he's going to lead us to places where we can defend and serve his people, not tear them down or destroy them. This is the primary difference between David and Saul. David is going to rescue a city where Saul is going to destroy David. The one following God's lead is going to defend and serve others. That's exactly what God has called Christians to. In Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 1, it says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who were in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. The Hebrew writer there is encouraging Christians to have empathy for those who are suffering and to be willing to help them. He says this because of what Jesus taught. If you go to Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31, Jesus seems to be giving a final judgment scene where people come to him and claim that they've done amazing things in his name and he doesn't know them. But there will be a group of people to whom he says, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus has called us to take care of one another, to take care of specifically those who are marginalized and suffering, the outcast and the downtrodden. One of the main ways that we can determine if God is leading us in a particular direction is whether or not we're being asked to defend and serve his people. God will also lead us into places that we'd rather not be. For David here, he's being called away to another city to fight a battle against the Philistines while he'd rather be hiding from Saul. But he's eager to do what God wants, so he goes and inquires of God. He goes and tells the people with him. And they said, are you sure? Aren't we safe for here? So he goes and inquires of God again. This is a group of people that didn't want to go do what God was calling them to do. 
But once they were convinced that that's where he was leading them, they went and they were successful. We often are guilty of doing exactly the opposite. If it's what we want to do, we assume it's from God. If it's not what we want to do, we can't imagine that God would lead us there. But we are a people who live by faith. And faith sometimes can lead us into troubling situations, things that are uncomfortable for us, but accomplish God's purposes. If you look in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a long chapter of people being described who accomplished amazing things by faith. And most of the names in there are from Bible stories that we recognize and remember, things that we're familiar with. We love to talk about those heroes of faith. But as that chapter starts to close out, Beginning in verse 32, the writer says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. These are all amazing triumphs of faith. But listen to what he writes next. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goat, destitute and afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in the dens and caves of the earth. Sometimes faith leads us to places we might rather not be. But are we willing, like David, to go wherever God leads us to accomplish his purposes? That same Hebrew writer in his very next chapter lets us know that even though the world is doing those things to us very often, God can use them to train us and mold us, to discipline us as he's transforming us into the people he wants us to be. So in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 7, it says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Difficult situations arise in our life. People do things to us that complicate our lives. But there is a way that God calls us to go through those things so that we're better people on the other side and better able to serve him. He forms us through those circumstances in the way that he prepared David to be king through his trials with Saul. So yes, sometimes when God is leading us, he's leading us through places we'd rather not be. But God will also lead us to the people who will help us to find our strength in him. As David is on the run still trying to do what God wants, yet stay alive so that God can fulfill the promises, God leads him to a place where his friend Jonathan can find him. And Jonathan comes and strengthens him in the Lord. 
Those are the kind of relationships that Christians are called to. We're supposed to be able to find those in our churches and be able to connect with other believers so that we can stay connected to our source of strength and power that's going to help us overcome all these circumstances. Writing to Christians in the first century, Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Christianity is a religion that's intended to be experienced in community so that we can provide courage to one another and build each other up. Life is hard. It's easier when we share it with others, especially others who understand that we need encouragement and support to make it through. So God's leading us to defend and serve his people. He's sometimes leading us through circumstances we'd rather not be in, but he's always leading us to places where we can receive encouragement and tap into his power. When we think God is leading us in a particular direction in our lives, what should we do? Well, we should do like David. Number one, we should make sure that we know what God's will is. Saul would have been better served if he had inquired of God about chasing after David. He had convinced himself and others that it was God's will because he was king. But it's not what God wanted at all. But David, we're told, went back to God two different times, trying to make sure that he understood what it was that God wanted. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. It's important that we understand what God wants. If we're caught up in our own desires, those things are going to pass away. But if we understand the will of God and stay aligned with it, we get to live forever. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we know if it's God's will? It's going to be good. It's going to be acceptable. It's going to be perfect. But the way that we come to know that is by giving ourselves to God. Having more and more experiences with him makes it more and more obvious to us when he's at work. Another thing that David does in this chapter, when things get really difficult, when he's about to be overtaken by Saul, he seeks shelter in the rock. You may be familiar with an old hymn called Rock of Ages where the writer of that song describes Jesus as a rock where he can seek refuge from a storm. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1, says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Our shelter, our refuge, our nourishment, our sustenance is found in our protective rock. In the same way David was protected in the rock of escape, we are protected in the rock of Christ. And another thing David does here that we need to be willing to do more of sometimes is accepting God's rest. When God provided a reprieve for David, he accepted it. 
when David was called to action, he was willing to follow God's lead and not try to devise a scheme himself. Sometimes as Christians, we think God needs our help. We think he needs us to come up with a strategy or a battle plan and implement it, and we just ask him to bless that. But we, like David, can rest from trying to rescue ourselves. We don't have to figure out how to find our way home. All we have to do is follow the leader and rely on his power to get us there. That's not the work we're given to do. In Hebrews chapter 4, the Hebrew writer is talking about how so many of the people of Israel missed out on God's rest because they wouldn't listen to God and do the things he asked them to do. It would have made their lives simpler and eliminated a lot of the struggle that they had in their lives. And so in verse 11, he tells Christians, therefore, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sword of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to his eyes, to whom we must give an account. God's rest is not inactivity, but it's being able to rest from trying to rescue ourselves, to let him do it, to listen to his instructions, to follow his will. It takes a huge burden off of us not to have to figure it out. We can look at our lives and see the times that we tried and it just didn't work. So let him do the work for us. Let's just follow in behind him, going wherever he wants us to go, because that's the way we're going to overcome all of our struggles. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.